Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. As you know, we are continuing with the 100 Masked Men series where I have hard and sometimes awkward conversations with men from all walks of life. We get real about gender roles, dating, sex, and what masculinity means in 2020. I'm leaning into the discomfort and hoping to unravel some misconceptions we often have when interacting with the opposite sex so that we can all better understand each other and ultimately improve our relationships. For the next few weeks, I'll be dropping two episodes every Wednesday to reach my 100 men target. This week, I talked to both of my guests about some pretty heavy but important topics. The impact of strong women in their lives, gender roles, consent, and ultimately our approach to having hard conversations and when is the right time to have them. The fourth masked man is the responsible man, who thinks men need to take more responsibility for their actions. We talked about how growing up with a single mom shaped his perception of what it means to be a man and how he confronts and combats racial stereotypes specifically in relationships. What I find the most interesting is the concept of entitlement men seem to have about a woman's body and how we still don't have the language or capacity to discuss the role of alcohol when it comes to consent. We cover a lot in this one and I really hope you enjoy the show. So let's get into it. Okay. Well, so we're going to be talking about a pretty tough conversation. We're going to be talking about consent. So I'm just wondering why it's so important to you. Was there any personal experiences in your life that makes this a high priority for you? First of all, I'm really happy that we're talking about this. You know, we've talked a little bit about this offline. And so why is this an important topic for me? I think it's an important topic for me because I think it should be an important topic for everyone. I think it should be an important topic, particularly for men, because I don't think it's something that, from my experience anyway, it was not something that was uh, the onus was put on men. You know, you just hear, uh, you hear, just say no for women. They're always, women are always told, just say no. And so the onus is completely, or certainly when I was growing up, was completely placed on women to be responsible. And it was like, well, you don't think about it. We didn't think about it growing up, but where was the onus for guys to be responsible? And thankfully that has shifted. A, a little bit more over the years. And to me, it's important because I think that anyone should ask the questions of, am I getting consent? Have I asked for consent? Am I being considerate? Am I being empathetic? These are important questions I ask. And these are not, these are not bad questions. These are, these are, these are, I think to me standard, but they don't get talked about. And certainly I don't think they get talked about uh, with men en enough. And I just, I've been around a lot of women. I grew up with women. Um, I was a single mom and just the amount of stories that have been shared with me and confidence about sexual encounters that did not involve consent is a lot. And I think it's important. I think it's a big thing. It's one of the big, to me, it's one of the biggest things that, uh, that I advocate for. So you said that you live with a single mom. How was it like growing up without a male role model? Yeah, no, I had really good uncles and I had a, an amazing grandfather and so these were great uh, role models. And, you know, my mom served as both. My mom served as mother and father. And when you grow up, uh, you know, anyone, not anyone, but if you have a single mom, then, you know, I don't think that's uncommon for a lot of people to have that experience. So my mom was, was able to play both to her to the best extent she could. And she did an amazing job. But I had amazing uncles. But I also did look for father figures outside. Like I had friends, dads who were awesome. So I feel like it was a, a bit of a mix and they were just really, really good examples of, of male behavior. What are examples of good male behavior that resonated with you when you were young? I think chivalry was really important. It's something that I saw 
a lot of growing up, getting the card or being respectful or were we all perfect? Absolutely not. Have I been perfect? No. But the the quest, no one is, but the quest to to have res- the respect and the quest to get it right was always there. And I think that's really important. You can't always be right, but you can always try and get it right. Was there a racial element to that, you know, in terms of your white friends and the way that they would talk to their mom compared to how you <laughs> would? You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, I thought that was a huge change. Like there was- How so? I mean, with Asian parents, we just don't talk like that, you know? So we don't even have conversations with our parents. We only talk to them when we need them or when we have to go sit down for dinner, you know? Like we don't really have real conversations because it was like adult versus child. So that, I mean, that was what it was like in, in that, in that space. Was that what bothered you? I mean, when you were with peers and the way that they would speak to their moms, their sisters, like other women in their, in their family, or was it when you saw it happen in public towards romantic partners that upset you? Both. Yeah, both, both for me. And I'm glad you taught, you touched on it certainly from an Asian element, because I think similar, but also different to the black experience or similar but different to a Hispanic experience, but very similar in that, as you, I think you, you, know, you nailed it in that your, your parents at best are friendly, but not your friend. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that was, you know, my mother explicitly said that, you know, like can be friendly, but I'm not your friend. And then you juxtapose that with uh, white parents and their kids and white families. And there was more of a, we're on equal footing, we're friends. And I'm like, what is going on? I remember, you know, just, I remember being over at like, at like a childhood friend's house. It was a fir- the, either the first or second time I went over there and we we're just hanging on the garage, you know, you did back in the day. We we're just like hanging out, talking. And his mom came out and asked him to do something. And she was like, hey, can you do this? So-and-so. And he's like, mom, shut up, God. No, my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you that? talking? what and, I, and she was like oh sorry and she like went inside and i was like i i, I couldn't believe it i went home and i i spoke to my mom i was like yo this kid just told his mom shut up like <laughs> like i couldn't fathom it i was like yeah the the amount of times i would have got like a hit or like a, a jab cross combo like mm-hmm. what are you talking shut up so it's a different, it's just a different experience. You can even say shush to your mom. It's the same thing with like Asian families or Hispanic families. Like, what are you talking about? There was just a level of respect. They're the authority figures. And with that authority comes a level of respect. And that line cannot be crossed. But that line is often crossed, or for me, I saw it was, was often crossed um, or blurred when it came to white families. And I think that also includes the women, mm-hmm. you know? And so... With black families, oftentimes the women are the head of the household. Uh, not always, but oftentimes they are. If it's a single family, single parent family, of course. But I just think there's a level of reverence and level of 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 respect, and that hierarchy is very determined. The same thing in the Asian community, right? I mean, uh, you can speak on that, right? Well, it's different in Asian cultures, especially in Chinese cultures. The women have no power. Right. And I was born during one child nation. I was a second child and it was a blessing to be able to be born because I'm in Canada. Whereas if my parents were in China, then that wouldn't be the case. It's just not desirable. Like I was born and raised with the impression that I had to join the Chinese pageant 
like the Miss Chinese pageant and have a talent and marry some Asian superstar guy. That was all that I was allowed to do. So anytime I had my own ambitions, they were just like, why do you want to work like a regular person? Like your whole, your entire livelihood is about being pretty and getting married. That was it. So as you can imagine, that was, you know, the basis of my rebellion and why I'm on this podcast. It really did contribute to my problem with sexism. That makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, coming from the culture and background, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah. So that's what I mean. It's similar, but different. Like there's a hierarchy, but that hierarchy is very different. And I think the the role of the women in the family is very different. I just think there's a different level of um, respect. And I think just the women's role, particularly in the black family is a little different. Oftentimes in my experience, black families are very matriarchal. Did you have any siblings? Yeah, I I have two siblings. I have a brother and a sister. Uh, I'm the oldest. Uh, My brother is four years younger. My sister's 13 years younger. So did you feel compelled to be the man of the household as the oldest male figure? Yeah, without a doubt. I I don't even think that's an uncommon thing i think when you are the um the oldest you do take on that role not everyone but for me i I feel like that was my responsibility and it's one that i uh relished uh yeah i do i I took on the role of uh being a protector and and it's a role that i still carry this day i think i think it's very important yeah what does responsibility mean to you in in the context of being a man I think responsibility can look like a lot of different things, but I think responsibility is, um, it's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. And I think once again, going back to what I said, you're going to fail. You know, if you're, if you're trying to be responsible, if you're trying to, to, to be a good human or, or, you know, man or woman, I think you're going to get it wrong sometimes. And I think the quest is to try and get it right. I don't think you're always going to. I know you're not going to. You're going to stumble. I think it's important that when you do take accountability, you apologize, you take accountability, and you try to do better. The quest is always to try and be the best you can be. And I think that's what responsibility looks like is to to ask yourself these questions. Am I doing better? Or, hey, you know what? When I do fail or when I do screw up, apologize. And so responsibility to me looks like showing up. I think that's really important. I think that's really crucial. You hear this often, right? A lot of life is just showing up. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you don't want to show up. Sometimes you don't want to, to, to be there. I'm very fortunate to have good people around me. I want to get back to the conversation about consent. Mm-hmm. Can Great. you share any, maybe can you share the first time a woman had shared their story to you and how that made you feel? Yeah. So for me, the first time I heard of or, or was exposed to just non-consensual um, sex or anything in, in, in that realm was, you know, in university, I had uh, a, a girlfriend of mine, like a friend who happened to be a woman, shared with me how you know she had been assaulted at a party, I think a year prior, and we didn't know. It was like crazy to me. I just remember feeling a sense of anger and a sense of like helplessness and like, fuck, I wish I had known, you know, I, I want to find this person. I want to like, I want to kill this person. I just want to, you know, just filled with anger and feel like protection. And it just, it was mind blowing to me because it's just not something that I had been exposed to or had experience with. And when I heard it, I was just really heartbroken. Like I said, I grew up seeing violence in my home as a kid. And so for me, 
it was this notion of you protect women or you you don't hurt those who are maybe not as strong as you. Like that was a big thing for me. It was a big vow for me. Uh, and so then, you know, in college, when you hear someone was abused, sure, it's not domestic violence, but it's still violence. And so that was like triggering for me because it brought me back to being a kid and brought me back to like seeing and feeling violence in my home. And it brought me back to a sense of like, how dare you hurt a woman? How dare you do this? Like, it's wrong. And it just opened my eyes to like how prevalent it was. And I didn't know how prevalent it was. And then as the years went on, just the amount of stories that I've heard from so many women, very good friends, some I dated, some that were like great girlfriends and just great, you know, uh, they're people I happen to be around and they share these stories and it's like holy shit like this happens a lot and I don't think guys get told that and for me it just it, you know it always just it really just it, you know really breaks my heart it just really makes me really sad it doesn't it doesn't surprise doesn't shock me the way that I was shocked when I first heard it but it always hurts and it always it always brings me back to going back to our earlier conversation about protecting it always brings me back to this like protection mode. And then I've learned, Hey, you know what? Maybe just listen rather than try and react. I think that's really important too. And I've learned to kind of just shut up and listen. If, if, so, if someone's going to share these with you and people have really shared with me. And I, I, I always, always, always respect it a lot because it's not something that has to be shared with you, but for women who have shared it with me, I take like a huge sense of like pride and like honor that, that they feel comfortable sharing that with me. Um, so sometimes it's just listen, not react. Can I ask you, how did she tell it to you? Yeah, we were just, uh, we were, we were, it was just, we were just walking. We were just walking and just like sharing, uh, sharing stories, but like growing up and some like tough things, you know, like I shared some of my tough stories. And this goes back to what we're talking about, like providing a safe space for people and being vulnerable. I think once people feel that you're vulnerable with them, they're more inclined to be vulnerable with you. For the most part, like I'm a pretty... I'm cool being vulnerable. I share, I don't hide from things. I share, well, not everything, but I share things with, and I share things that like have hurt me. And I think when people sense that they're more inclined to do that with you. And I've shared like stories of growing up with domestic violence. And so that was just what was happening in that situation. And yeah, we were just walking. We were like literally walking in a park and then she just opened up and shared that. Once again, I remember feeling like a sense of like wanting to protect, wanting to take revenge, you know, and what I've learned now is like, don't make it about me. And I think that moment I was upset and angry, but I was also able to just listen I, just by nature of like how I grew up. My, my mom always was just such a great listener. And, and it's one of the good things I think I've gotten from her is just listen. Funny how you say that, because it's not as easy <laughs> to listen as we think it is. You know what I mean? Like everyone says they listen, but they just, they just hear, they don't really listen. So I, I totally get you on that. Have you ever experienced a woman tell you that you abused her? Have you ever no. had a conversation about consent where there was confusion? No, no. Thankfully, you know, going back to what I said, right. It's like partnership. But I think when you, you let the person that you're with behind closed doors or Shit, if you're public in a park, wherever you are, right? I think it's very important to view it as a partnership, a mutual dance versus someone just trying to take the lead in, you know, just about me. So I've always been hyper aware of that. So why 
is that an uncommon opinion? Because usually it's kind of like the guy wants to be the dominator, you know, calls all the shots, leads the whole sexual encounter, you know, let me show you how to do it. Why is it like, <laughs> why is it like that? Gender roles impact how we act personally, Absolutely. right? And so why is it uncommon for, for a lot of men to ask, hey, is this okay? Do you like this? Can we do this? Can, can I do that? Are you okay with this? Why is that uncommon? Because it's not something that they're fucking taught because it's not something that gets, get, gets shared, right? Well, and so these, as you just said, as often as you just said though, that men, why is it like men have to take the lead or let me show you, motherfucker, you don't even know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So like, you don't even know what you're doing. You think you're a pro, you're not. But maybe if you just once again, listened. And, I, and so as you said, we hear, but we don't listen. If we listened more, we'd be more inclined to look at it like a duet. And I think a lot of guys get taught, oh, be a man, take charge, or you're she's supposed to just be a catch. And you don't, once again, I know it's, it's, it's theoretical, but it plays a role. Women were equal in my family. Mm. Women were seen as partners, were seen on the same level. If you don't grow up with that, then it's very easy maybe more so in others, not an excuse, but it could lead you to see women as now partners aren't equals. And therefore, when it comes to sex, for it to be a control thing, because then it becomes control. But when you realize A, control is an illusion, and then B, that control should be shared between both of you, then it leaves a lot less room for there to be a fucking issue with consent. Right. But I think, like you said, we haven't been taught this. And instead, we're taught what Hollywood tells us, which, you know, one thing leads to another and, you know, there's this romantic bubble of things that happen and in no area is there a discussion of consent, right? Just like things just keep snowballing and then here we are somehow. And I think there's also elements of porn that just like portray the most unrealistic events, you know, to get you there. So there's no standard. How can we standardize consent then? And that's very true. Right. And you listed a bunch of reasons there. You listed like, there's so many things like how, how Hollywood depicts it. You use porn as an example, these false images get projected and they're problematic, right? It's like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. So this is my problem that traditionally sex begins and ends with an erection, basically when it shouldn't be because it should be kind of an ongoing intimate experience but traditionally it's known as you know when he's erect and then when he's done i have a problem with this because when i'm with partners and it's just about them because that's what they're trained from from porn from whatever other context you want to use that's all they think about and because of porn the woman's just like always celebrating his erection forever. You know, like you don't even know when she's happy, not happy or oh, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, she's so always, she's always, it's always great. It's always great. You know what I mean? So, oh, it's always great. so that's so bullshit. And yeah, you know, yeah. I had this one person tell me like, I, I don't really want to stick around and wait for you to finish, you know? I, <laughs> so I don't think this is going to work out. And I was just like, I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but like, what the fuck? I mean, because that's traditionally how it is, I think that's why there is the issues of consent. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's the only time that they're going to equate when 
consent occurs when actual penetration, when there should be every single layer of elements of, you know, whether or not this is okay or not. Um, and because sex is basically controlled by the erection, if he goes down because he gets in a funk for whatever reason, it's very easy for him to walk away, but it's very um, nuanced to explain when a woman is now not into it anymore, because based on however subtle her body cues can be, there's still the element of fear and not knowing what that fear is like innocently, hopefully for the women that have not been sexually abused are just like, I don't want to make him unhappy. I don't want to disappoint him. Right. So it's, it's coming out of good intentions, but for the ones that have been abused saying no is dangerous because the last time they said no, and if they got sexually assaulted, he laughed at her or like got off at the fact that she said no, and he still can do something about it. And he still took over her body. Right. So it's easier to just comply because at least that way he doesn't know that you said no. And, you know, he can still get his way kind of thing. You know, that's like the ultimate level of power over somebody when they can literally control your body. You know, it's, man, it's, it's crazy because to me, we do not have, we do not have control over anyone's body. I have, you know, not, not to make this about me, but to, to be personal, I have always looked at it as, as sex as one, this is not a right that I am owed. Mm. I am here because you want to share this with me or because you want it, you know? And so it is, it is a privilege. I've always looked at it like that. And once again, I always just, I grew up like, to me, to me, like, you know, bringing it real as we should, but to me, sex is like, I love the idea of pleasing my partner. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not really happy unless I feel like, I'm if she's into it, I'm getting her off, or she's pleased. That's how I take a lot of pleasure. Of course, like listen, I like I want to be selfish too, but like I love being selfish. Like I love like, hey, or what do you like? Like I that turns me on, right? But as you said, like when you don't grow up with that, or when it just becomes like, I think it's so important that you said like if sex begins and ends with like an erection. No, it doesn't. There's a lot that happens beforehand. There's a lot that happens during. There's a lot that happens after. And if, if you're good, there's a lot that can happen after, after. But like, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of guys look at it like that and they've all fucked up. And it's like, oh, it's just penetration. Or, you know, I'm just going to own and control. I'm like, no. And, you know, it's not something we just shared. It's not something that I think a lot of guys know. I think it's really important for you to share that, that you did. That, you know, women have these nonverbal cues. And, you know, they use them and a lot of guys don't pick up on them or women are sometimes afraid to say no or say they're not into it. And for a number of reasons, they're worried about being judged or laughed at or whatever. And then there's another added fear of being assaulted or or your voice not being listened to or not being heard. And these are all things that that are very real and that. You know, I've never personally been in, but once again, I've had women share with me. I think that's why it's really important. You have a lot of women friends. Guys should have women friends because you're going to learn a lot more. And because like, I've been around that enough to hear stories where I'm like, 
I believe people. I don't question when a woman tells me she was assaulted. I don't question when a woman says, Lawrence, you know, this happened because I know it's true. But you have a lot of people who maybe don't have women friends and are like, oh, no, that can't happen. She must have made it up or there must have been some kind of gray area. No, just fucking listen. And that's why it's really important. What you said is like, there's a bunch of reasons why maybe she didn't verbally say no, or maybe she felt silenced because she was afraid. And so that's why it's important. You know, when it comes to consent, it's important to ask. That's why one of the reasons I love to ask is like, hey, you know, are you good with this? Is this cool? Like, do you want to stop? I don't know. You know, and then she'll tell you, hopefully, right? She'll say, no, I'll keep going. Or like, hey, can we slow down? Or, you know, and these are good things, providing that space for someone to feel comfortable. And, and, and I think it's important to do that. It's really important to do that. Forget outside of the bedroom. It is so important. It is so fucking important in that in the bedroom or wherever you're being intimate with someone to provide a space. And I and actually, you talked about responsibility. I think it's I think I'm gonna say it. I and and you know maybe people would disagree, but I think it is the man's responsibility. Since you kind of talked about responsibility, whose responsibility is it to bring up the conversation on protection? Unused, unusing protection, condoms mm-hmm. and things. Both. Okay. I think both. So, you know, I, I traditionally, <laughs> who says it first? Who asks first in your experiences? I would probably say it's probably like 60, 40 or 70, 30, the woman. Right. Because she's the one with the risk. Yeah. So what I've experienced is guys just hope that the conversation doesn't happen. <laughs> when I have the conversation... Or when I bring it up, the the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's obviously a risk. And it, I just think it's insane that people don't just talk about it first. What I've noticed is it's pretty clear. I'd want to have sex with you. Like it's, it's pretty clear. You know that that's on the table. That's part of today's itinerary. Now we can go into detail and elaborate on that. And I would like us to discuss protection. We can go into as much detail from, you know, the last time you were tested or not. This is just general safety that we should all know how to do and do regularly. I think that no one does that in a casual relationship. I just end up, you know, when I meet guys that are like, oh, well, whatever, we'll just use the pullout method, whatever. Right. And then I'll say, well, okay, well, I'm ready to have a kid too. As in, I'm acknowledging that that is the potential consequence to today's action. And I'm willing to take responsibility for it. Are you? And the speed that these guys would wrap their shit up after that because they're not ready, but I called you out on it. You know what I mean? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to scare you away? Like, why do I have to scare you into fucking being responsible? You know what I mean? Like, I had to cleverly think of some manipulative fucking shit to make you wrap your shit up, you know? Yeah. And I, whereas if I wanted to approach it normally, that's not how I would approach it. But what has your, your experience been in having conversations with sexual partners on protection and making sure that this conversation happens and is in a respectful space. Yeah, I think, I mean, thanks for sharing that because I think that it doesn't get talked about a lot or I think it's really real and it is a very clever way that you've mm-hmm. done it. Mm-hmm. You know, heads up. I thought it was very, it's very brilliant, but you know, just the onus, once again, the onus has been placed on women historically. Hey, you've got, well, how did this conversation start, right? This conversation started with women have to be the ones to say no. And like, right. that's what society has said, right? So this whole conversation started with the onus is placed on the woman to say no and the guy to pursue. It's a guy's job to keep going or it's a guy's job to try and get her to, to give up or agree or whatever. 
and it's a woman's job to say no or to prevent. That's what people have tried to say. And we know that that is not the case. It should be a shared fucking experience with both adults. It should be a conversation. Once again, I'll use the analogy, it should be a duet. It is not a solo. It is not a monologue. But that's not always been the case. For me, I've asked, like, hey, do we want to get protection or do we want to use this? Like, that's a simple fucking question. It doesn't need to be a, like, a big thing where it's like, you know, because I think sometimes people can think it's unsexy or, like, you know, the fear comes up of, like, I don't want to ask or I don't want to ruin the mood. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like, right? Or, like, things are getting good. Do I want to stop? No one say stop and pull a contract. Like, it doesn't have to be all that, especially when it's casual. To me, it's always been easier to ask, but not always. Like I've been in situations in the past, you know, when I was growing up, certainly like when I was in college and you're just like, oh, well, we're just not going to talk about it. It's like the elephant in the room. The partner at the time was probably just like, okay, is he going to bring it up? Because I mean, everyone's just like, okay, like, is he going to bring it up? Is someone going to talk about it? No one wants to have the combo, right? But it has to be had. Why are guys reluctant to talk about sex before the sex happens you know what I mean like you wait until you're like actually in the bedroom and it's like you're half naked now and then you want to talk about where's this going what's your intentions is this casual are we like exclusive you know how many partners are you with all of this shit like kind of arises and then you decide how much you want to talk about it and how much you're prepared to you know not talk about for the sake of keeping the mood right why does it Wait till then. You had all night to talk about all the things. And instead, you're just like, spend, I think with guys, like they spend all this time trying to say everything she wants to hear, right? Which is, oh, how's your day? Oh, cool. And like just asking questions and then find out more about her. So then, like, she kind of, you know, loosens up, I guess, right? And is all like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, like I, I like you now. I'm feeling some vibes and blah, blah, blah. And then the whole thing happens. Why was all of the energy spent on trying to get her to, trust you as a real person and have like some kind of emotional connection here when like if you did want to pursue a sexual relationship with her why didn't you talk about it no i think it's a really really great question i'm glad you asked that because it's something that i've explored not necessarily in re in, in regards to just sex but i think in general we and when i say we i don't just mean guys um but i mean like quote unquote heterosexual heteronormal um relationships don't do this. And I bring this up because I think it's so great that you said this because I, I had this combo in therapy the other day and my therapist dropped like such great line. The, the gay community, like we're used to talking about these things. We're used to, like the gay community is used to having conversations about, hey, what is this? Like, are we just going to have sex or or have these casual, com or a com is it gonna be casual? It's gonna be, you know, whatever. Have these conversations prior to. And that way it becomes less uh, confusion or less like ambiguity. In my experience, heterosexual, heteronormal relationships don't, don't have those honest communication talks. That's that. But then I'll sure, I'll also talk about men. I also think men don't do well necessarily with communication if they haven't been taught that or if they haven't been, it hasn't been a focus. I'm, I'm okay having conversations. I'm not perfect at it. And there's some conversations I've probably avoided. I know I've avoided, forget probably, I've definitely avoided because I knew they were gonna be tough conversations or I didn't know how to best approach it or I was worried or whatever. I know that for a fact and I've and I've made the mistake and it's, it's affected friendships or relationships 
sexual and otherwise, because I was just like, oh man, I didn't know how to approach it. I didn't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But, and that's me who's been taught how to communicate. And I think I'm a pretty mm-hmm. good communicator for the most part, but even I fail. So if you haven't been taught that, then you're saying everything to try and get her. It's like, as a guy's treat, not all guys, but I think a lot of guys treat sex as like this thing of like, I got to catch it. And if I don't say the right things, I'm not going to get it. So I've got to say the right things to get it. And so we're just not taught to have the conversation before because these are mature grown-up combos, but I think a lot of people are just afraid of having those mature grown-up combos because they don't want to mess up their chance to, to get lucky, right? That's what the word gets used, right? I'm getting lucky. Like, well, why, what does luck have to do with this? She, if she wants to have sex with you, a woman knows if she's got to have sex with you or not. She knows right away. So it's not about getting lucky. Luck had nothing to do with it. Well, I've also heard that guys think like as soon as they start talking about sex before it's clear that she wants to have sex with you, you could potentially get yourself in trouble. And I think, I don't know what people think now about just the, the, the whole Me Too movement and the new fear that guys have about just saying anything wrong or using the wrong jargon or whatever. Yeah. As soon as you approach a woman in any kind of casual way and you start talking about sex, you don't know how she's going to treat it. She might think it's really inappropriate. How do you feel about that and and the fear that guys have about, oh, we can't we can't talk about sex until it's for sure she's down about it, which means I guess you gotta wait until you're in bed. Whereas like I think mature women now wanna know what's on the table so we can talk about it and know the intentions because we have intentions and we'd like to figure it out and make sure that everyone's on the same page. How do you how do you gauge that? What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, you use the word fear and I agree because I've used it before too earlier in this is like, you know, fear gets in the way and you're like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I get it. You know, I get it. You don't want to, you don't want to overstep and or turn her off or once again, lose that opportunity or chance. Mm -hmm. It's not yours to lose, right? Like, like (laughs) she, she knows whether she wants to know. You may not know, but she does. You know, I get it. You know, people don't want to say the wrong thing. But I think to me, I can only speak about me. I have learned that if you lead from a good place and if you lead from once again, trying to get it right, not be right, chances are you'll be okay. I get it why some guys are afraid, but I don't wrap my head around this like, oh, now you can't, like, I hate this bullshit. Of, now you can't even joke with women or now you can't even bring up sex to a woman. Now you can't right. even flirt. I fucking yeah. hate that. If, if, dude, if your flirting could possibly be seen as sexual harassment or assault, you're flirting wrong. <laughs> Facts, yeah. I think you're absolutely right about the approach. Because, yeah, the intentions could be the same. You know, like both of you want to get to know each other, whether whatever, but the approach can totally dictate the way those words are received. I And I think it's hard because if you had the right intentions and your approach was wrong, and she took it wrong, would you not be defensive? Because that wasn't your intention. So I get that point of view. Do you not, do you not think that that's fair? It's like the, the, you, that you have to be also responsible for your approach. Yeah, I do. I think it's very important. I think it's super important. And that comes back to acknowledgement and being self-aware, right? It's like asking and like, and like that's like checking your actions, not just checking your words, checking your actions. Absolutely. How is it being received? So it's not just, hey, 
my intent is to be this. The second question I think you need to ask is, how could it possibly be received? How could my actions or words be received? I think if I, I always, I try so hard to think about that because I think it's really important that sexually, that's romantically, that's in a friendship, that's anything, how is it going to land? And I think that's the part. Maybe some people, folk, maybe guys focus on the first part, which is my intent was this. I'm trying to, you always hear this all the time, right? Well, what I wanted to do, what was I was this, trying to yeah. do. But then it's like, well, I wanted to do this. So who cares what, if they received it wrong, you know? I think people spend so much time trying to validate their point now, and then it gets aggressive. You know what I mean? And then that's when it turns into a problem because you're trying to prove you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you hit it right on the head. And like, that's why when I say the, the, the a belief system that I try and live by is like, do you want to be right or do you want to get it right? Being right is the intent. You know, I want to like, you know, trying to get your point across uh, the way you said, and I, I like that. And then, but the second part is more important, getting it right. And that is how is it received? That's the thing to keep in mind that I don't think people do a good enough job of that. Why do guys or certain guys get more aggressive than other guys with rejection? Traditionally, guys are the ones coming up to the girls. Like, you know, that's kind of the story. And like you just said, like they're the ones that chase them. And, you know, the story is to continue to persist. Why do you still get upset about rejection? Don't you get rejected like all the time? Shouldn't you be used to that by now? And like you said, learn how to get it right. Learn how to adjust for the future. But I feel like some people just keep repeating the same thing because they'll just blame the other person for receiving it wrong. And then eventually yeah. on the blue, like one day, the right person will receive it right instead of like changing uh, yourself first. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, why, yeah. why is it like that? It's going to work. It's, and it's like- One day it's going to work. Who's the common denominator in the situation? It's always you that's doing it this way and always getting the same result. Why do you think that? And what, what is the big ego blow about rejection? Two things at play. One, I think you hit it right there. It's like, it's an ego thing. But then the second thing, I love this. It's like, if you wake up in the morning and you run into an asshole, you ran into an asshole. But if you keep running into assholes all day, you're the asshole. And I think people don't take accountability. And once, like I said earlier, like people project rather than try and acknowledge. It's not, why do I keep getting rejected? Why do women keep rejecting me? That's a very dangerous thing that I think a lot of men like to do and blame. It's not, why does she keep rejecting you? Bro, it's like, why do you keep saying or doing things that lead you to feel rejected? I have, an, I have a lot of experience with rejection being in journalism where I'd pitch an idea and I have my intention. This is the idea that I want to talk about. And this is a story I want to, you know, I want to publish it at this magazine or whatever it is. And I remember there was, um, there was this application I made for Men's Health magazine and they wanted a girl next door columnist to talk about sex and relationships. So I submitted all of my clips and everything. And I've got a lot of rejections that are just straight we regret to inform you. And without enough feedback, I can I can only take that for what it is, right? So that's how I'm going to look at how guys get rejected. You know, like they'll, they'll ask someone if they want to have a drink and they'll politely receive a no. And then they kind of just move on with that because there's no room for interpretation or a request for feedback, you know? But so this men's health editor came back to me and said, you have amazing clips, which means, you know, that validates that I'm actually good at what I'm doing. So maybe this girl talks to you, right? And acknowledges you for existing. 
He went on further to say, however, I don't think this role is for you because although you have great clips and, you, and you're a great writer, you're just not the girl next door. And I mean, I was like 19 at this time. And I was so offended that he said I wasn't the girl next door. It's funny because I tell all my friends and they're like, Amanda, you're not the girl next door. You're like the girl next block. You know, like you're not the kind of sweet girl next door that I felt rejected because I tried to be someone that I'm not, but by using skill sets that I actually did have. And then I got rejected and I took that so personally. So I can see why guys might do that where they're like, I'm trying to be funny or charming or like the whatever that they're trying to project to be like, I'm this. So I, I can see that like huge personal dig. I just don't, I don't understand the anger. It's not like I sent hate mail to men's health after and like burned all the magazines at a newsstand or something. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't feel hate about it. All I did was feel really shitty about myself and then slowly realize, well, that, that magazine just wasn't for me. I think the very simple answer is the following entitlement. You can only be upset about not getting something or, or being around someone or being rejected by someone. If you feel that you are entitled to them or entitled to that job, right? If you use mm. a job example. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes simply under the realm of entitlement. And this is why we need to do a job of coaching our young men or men in general, you are not entitled to that job and more importantly, her body. I totally agree. And I think it's pretty dangerous to call people like, oh, that's my girl or that's my man. So adding that possessive or that element of possessiveness to it, claiming someone, that means body, mind, soul, like everything, if you say it in that context, right? Because technically you just want to be together. But instead, you put a possessive to it. Yeah. The entitlement, wanting to control. We talked about wanting to control. Going back to it, like goes back to consent. When you look at it like a partnership or a duet, then you're both responsible for how great the song is or how great the experience is or just how great the sex is. You're both equal parts. On the, on the topic of consent, what if you're seeing somebody and you know you're going to have sex. Like it's it's on the itinerary, right? It's like maybe she's like mm -hmm. been talking to you extremely flirty and wants you to come over. Like a very specific, like you know sex is on the table. And you guys have sex, sure. Like maybe you had sex before, you know? Like it's, it's not um, uncommon. And perhaps she says, I wasn't okay with the way, like again, like the approach was still wanted to have sex with you. It's just the way it happened wasn't okay. How would you react to that? Do you think that's valid? I think, I think it's, of course it's fucking valid. I think the response to that is ask, Hey, what, once again, you talked about this in your example of like, dude, ask for feedback. Oh, I'm something you like, or be inquisitive. I'm going to leave this with you. When someone expresses to you how something you did made them feel, the response is not, or you're taking it too personal. You know, sometimes you hear, well, you know, she's being too sensible. Oh, it's just a joke. Oh, you know, I was just flirting. I was just playing. Dude, that's not for you to decide. If someone or she is telling you, let's forget the hypotheticals. If she is telling you or she has told me, hey, I didn't really love that. My response cannot be, that's your problem. So how are you going to ask what, like at every single like five minute standpoint, like to make sure that she's not feeling weird about it? Like how, how would you go about solving that? Because the, like the, 
this example, the only way that that would happen is after the fact, you know, she'll say that. So how would you prevent it from happening in real time? Uh, I, th I think to me, I look at this like, like there, there's mid, there's, you know, there's check-ins and that, that's what we call, we call check-ins. I'm going to make an assumption. Have you, have you ever waited tables? Of course I have. Yeah, I think we, I think we both have experience, right? And that's why I think working in hospitality and retail are two amazing jobs because I think they teach you how to interact with humans and how to, um, how to deal with different personalities. You know, not that I'm going to equate sex to working in a restaurant, but there are steps of service in a restaurant. And one of the mm -hmm. two of the steps are your quality, are your quality checks, your QCs. And I think you can apply that to sexual encounters as well. Do mm -hmm. check-ins. If you get, if we are, if we're training servers to check on the quality of food, then I think we can train people to check on the quality of a sexual experience. I, I mean, I think that's definitely what people need to do, but you know, like you said, people want to control the situation. And what I think is wild is when alcohol is involved, you know, I would say that's the majority of my experiences with non-consensual sex, because I don't know. And I can't expect the other person to be responsible on my behalf. Why would you want to be with someone that isn't present? You know, like that can't even do it. Like there's so many times that I don't remember. Unfortunately, I don't remember if we had sex or not. Yeah. And then I'll have to ask this guy, did we have sex last night? And it, and it was protection involved because I don't know anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that gets really awkward because they're like, oh, what, you didn't remember? I'm like, I'm sorry. It's not like I'm talking about your performance. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. And then, then it comes to, well, you said yes, like, you know, in the very beginning <laughs> of the situation. And, and I don't, I, how do I argue against that? Because like, yeah, I probably obviously did want to have sex with you to be, to feel safe enough to just get fucked up. You know what I mean? Probably. But I don't like the approach because I can't, I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. right and sometimes i'm in a, in a sometimes it's a totally positive environment like maybe it's someone i'm seeing regularly and you know i, I want to have sex with this person all the time but that one instance it was non-consensual i didn't mind it but still non-consensual you know and then we could talk about it. i'm like well i'm glad somebody somebody enjoyed it or somebody remembered it and we could joke about it but it's actually like not funny at all like it should not you shouldn't even bother to engage in it because now there's like a whole gap in my memory who knows what you would have done that whole time. You know what I mean? Like you could tell me the play by play, but I don't know if it's real. That's why alcohol, you know, alcohol becomes a, uh, it's, it's murky, right? Alcohol becomes a murky thing because you're both just like, or one party doesn't know what's necessarily happening. You know, I think a lot of these things, these negative experiences, negative situations or with consent can come up when, alcohol is involved and you're like, ah, I don't know. And so it, it's a, it's, I wouldn't say tricky. I think it's, I think it becomes a very complex thing because you might ask, people are just so different on, when, when they're drinking under the influence, right? And it's like, I can only speak for myself and I would share this with my fellow men. If alcohol is involved, wouldn't you want to, I just think you'd want to be with someone who's present. Mm -hmm. You want to be with someone there. Once again, I, I don't want to keep hitting us on the head, don't you want to be on stage with someone who is like singing with you? Like, why do you want to be carrying them? Or like, why do you want them drunk? And like, you then have to play their part. Like, why don't you both want to be present in the moment? That's, I don't want to make it a long answer. If she's unable to provide consent or give you a yes or no, then I feel like 
you shouldn't be you shouldn't be there you shouldn't be participating and in the absence of consent don't do it don't do it simple as that alcohol or not well there's just so many predators out there that prefer that you know yeah so that they can get away with it or you know like you said it's like a prize right um, they get lucky. They go. They find someone that just can't really uh, fight back, right? So it's like, oh, I can have my way with her. Why? Why is that a desire? Because you're weak. I'm gonna say because you're a weak man. If if that's okay. what you need, like you are a weak, weak man. If that's what you need to validate like, yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, that you're weak and insecure, and you have deeper issues. How about that? You fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you said that, um, like he's weak as in not physically weak, you know, he's, he's weak mm-hmm. in, in the sense of just like, like you said, those feelings, yeah, of entitlement, yeah, you yeah, know, the yeah. feelings of control, you know, that's, that's weakness because you don't yes. know yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Not even talking what you physically, I don't give a crap what you physically look like, but like you are emotionally weak. You're emotionally insecure and inferior if you can't be with someone physically and sexually who is there and who's who, who wants who has agency like if you need to remove or strip her of her agency and strip her of her like consciousness dude what are you doing like you are weak um i just want to wrap up um i asked this to everyone that's on the show um what negative thoughts have you seen that women have about themselves that you wish could change don't apologize especially when it's not your fault and I think that can apply to so many things. Stop saying sorry for speaking up in a boardroom. Stop saying sorry for telling a guy no. Stop feeling it's your fault. And I want that to happen. There's a bunch of things. There's a bunch of ways I can answer that. But that's one of the things that come to mind is like, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to have your voice heard. And that, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, that a threat is not real. And I get that. But I want us to be in a place where... Um, don't feel bad, girl. Don't feel bad. Feel free to say no. Feel free to say, no, I don't want this. I don't want to do that. I'm not into that. Feel free to say, yeah, I want this. I'm into this. I, I want to do that. Don't apologize for being yourself. How about that? Yeah. One last question for you. Based on all of the topics that we talked about today, what topics jumped out at you the most that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on? in another episode on the show the idea of listening i think is really important the idea of listening the idea of like of not just trying to be right but being empathetic that's really important to me right i think that topic of like putting yourself it's really i think it's tough for some men to put themselves in, in a woman's shoes if they have may have grown up grown up around women but try that just try taking a step outside yourself and don't worry about the intention bro worry about how it's going to land awesome thank you so much for that let me think. Thank you. <laughs> so what did we think of today's episode? I know I've been talking a lot about intentions lately, so I love this angle that focuses more on the self-reflection. Start thinking about why someone may be misinterpreting you rather than focusing on just getting your intentions across. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you want to be on the show, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chan on Instagram, and I'll see you all next Wednesday. Bye for now.